Welcome you back this evening as we continue our study in the book of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is where we'll be. We continue on a series called Life with Luke. Life with Luke is about Luke's perspective, uh, unusual perspective, uh, interesting perspective as a Gentile author and his account of Jesus' life. Are you a fisherman or a fisherwoman? Uh, at Northside, we have several who are regular fisher, fisher, fisher people. <laughs> uh, Roy Helm is one of those. Uh, Larry Risley is one of those. We have others who enjoy the hobby of fishing. I admittedly am not. But in God's divine sense of humor, he let my little daughter uh, really take up an interest in fishing. I don't know anything about it. I know the pole, the line, and in theory you're supposed to cast and get something back. But I really, much more than that, I do not know. We have a couple of uh, ponds there in the neighborhood, and as we walk around, Chris, or Grace would ask if there was any fish in those ponds. And so uh, I told her, yeah, there's, there's some little fish in there, and we would go. And uh, as we kept on walking around, she, of course, naturally asked, well, Dad, do you know how to fish? Well, honey, I don't know much about it. She said, well, well, maybe could I learn how to fish? Okay, (laughs) we'll see how this goes. And so we went to Walmart and bought a little $10, you know, all-multipurpose kids fishing reel and um, brought it back, put it together, and thought, okay, this will be a good lesson for her on um, there's just some things in life we can't be good at. So we take it out there, we go, and uh, first time this little uh, seven-year-old girl has ever been fishing in her life, and you know what happened, don't you? You absolutely do. I don't even have to finish the story, but I will. She she cast out there and waited 10 or 15 minutes, and this is what I thought would really, you know, deter her away from that, was the waiting, you know. That's the hard part. I remember doing that with my dad when I was younger. I thought it was all cool until I figured out that a lot of fishing is waiting. So we waited there all of 15, 20 minutes, and sure enough, she gets a bite. And reels one in, just one about that big. It was not big enough to keep, but it was enough to get her excited about fishing, uh, which did my heart a world of good, don't you know? Tonight, we're going to talk about a fishing story. And it is about one that was an incredible catch, but instead of being too small to keep, tonight's catch was too big to keep. Following Jesus means one of doing one of the hardest things in the world, and that's captured in this story tonight, how hard it can be to let go of that which you love, losing the world to gain your soul. If you're following along in your Bibles, you want to turn to Luke chapter 5, where we will read the story, the account, according to Luke, of Jesus calling the first disciples. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. 
Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, we will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The account of Luke continues with this calling of Jesus' disciples. Now, paying attention, realize last Sunday we talked about uh, Jesus and Simon Peter's, uh, Simon's mother-in-law. And so it seems a little unusual. Why haven't, hasn't Jesus met the disciples already? At least hasn't he met Simon Peter And we need to keep in mind that it seems that this account that Luke has organized, he's organized it not chronologically, so this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, but rather topically. And so he seems to be kind of ordering things that way. It's important to remember it won't be the last time that Luke does this. And the setting is the Sea of Galilee. Of course, that setting, also called the Sea of Tiberias, the Lake of Gennesaret, would be a setting for many of the stories involving Jesus. It's a large freshwater lake about 690 feet below sea level. And this is a powerful setting for what's about to happen with these fishermen. The first thing we see is that the crowd uh, leaned forward. As we look at this account more in depth, uh, we see uh, some, some particulars that happen in this story. Uh, Luke records that while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is, as we said, another word for the Sea of Galilee, another another, uh, name for the Sea of Galilee. The crowd is pressing in on him, no doubt, because as, as we've kind of talked about already, it's his custom to teach in the synagogues. He's been doing miracles. So he's growing in popularity. And not only is he growing in popularity, but... People, when they hear Jesus teach, hear something authoritative, something powerful, something unique um, that they didn't hear from just any other rabbi. Why, Why did the crowd press in on Jesus to hear? The word of God and this idea of, of pressing in is this this multitude kind of squeezing together almost to the point where he doesn't have a place to go. And so he gets into the boat to do uh, to, to help to aid in his teaching. And maybe you've heard this before. Um, so in modern times when we communicate, you know, it's all done by electric signal. This little microphone transfers it down to this little battery pack and it communicates to an antenna. That brings it back down through a cord and out into the amplifiers and puts it out of the speakers and that vibrates the air and that vibrates your ears and all of that. And when Jesus was doing it, it didn't have any of that. So he... he gets into the boat and gets out on the water. And this is a great acoustic method. Uh, you can, you, as the sound bounces off the water, it 
it amplifies it and you're, it can speak to a crowd of people uh, much more um, effectively than you could if you were just standing at the edge and trying to address a mass of people. Same neighborhood lake uh, that Grace and I, where she asked about fishing, as we're walking around those neighborhood lakes, sometimes when you hit it just right, you can be almost 180 degrees opposite of another person or couple on the other side of the water. And you can hear very clearly what they're saying as if they're standing next to you because the sound's bouncing off. Well, Jesus is using that here. Um, and he's, he's not just being a genius in his method, but he's uh, giving them the words that were so important. They want to hear the word of God for several reasons. And maybe they're not even aware of these reasons themselves, but here's what the word says about the word of God. The word, in John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, The words that I give you, that I've spoken to you, are spirit and life. There's something there. There's something sustaining. Um, they, they are... If you turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 4, from, from a couple of weeks ago, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus said himself, uh, Man shall not live by bread alone. There is something sus- uh, that, uh, of sustenance to God's word. And, and I can only give you anecdotal evidence for that from my personal experience. But there are times when I study this, prepare this, uh, preach that or teach that, and other teachers probably have had that as well, and you say something from God's Word that you really didn't intend to emphasize or focus on or, or that wasn't really the main part of the lesson, but as you went through, someone heard, someone caught something from God's Word that that helped them, encouraged them, edified them, or even admonished them or chastised them or told or directed them in a way that the speaker did not intend. There was more lesson there. There was more sustenance there than the speaker himself intended on providing. When, when we speak from this book, when we teach from this book, when you read this book, when you, when you uh, put into practice the words of the book, what you're doing is more than just reading a book. You're feeding on, on eternal food, on sustenance for the soul. They, they pressed around to hear the word of God for wisdom. Uh, they would have known Psalm 119, and probably you do as well. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, literally an illumination, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you've ever had a aha moment, sort of a, a, a metaphorical light bulb come on when you read god's word the psalmist says it's 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 eternal illumination it's it's illumination from god you know as you're reading along in your daily bible reading and and something jumps out to you maybe you've read it before maybe you've heard it preached on before but it just didn't hit you the way that it hit you there and you have a a heavenly aha moment a lot of a lot of value for the word of god for life, for sustenance, for wisdom. That's why the crowd was pressing in. That's, that's what made them want to hear what Jesus had to say. The thing about a program like Know Your Bible, a program that's 33 years 
old. And the way we do it, even you know, broadcast television is not the newest and most modern means of doing it. We do it, do it online and things like that as well. But, but as I've said before, we get piles and piles and piles of letters of people requesting the Bible correspondence course or people corresponding with the greater through the mail. People that stop Steve or I uh, in public and say, really appreciate the program. Uh, a program like that, which is a paid advertising format, reaching uh, in some in in times past, it has been marked on the Nielsen ratings. That's unheard of. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. People don't sit around and watch paid advertisements to see just anything. Now, is that because of the talent of the guys on the television? I mean, obviously that goes without saying. No. It's the power, it's the effectiveness of God's word. That's all the premise is. Ask whatever you want, and we'll try to answer it from here. And we do, we get some questions, the same questions every week. But every week, there are questions that come up that I think, I've studied the Bible, I've taught the Bible, I've done many times. I've never thought about that. But still, God's word is ever true. Uh, Like the song says, ancient words, ever true. Changing me and changing you. And, and that's not just true in our world. It's been true in every age of this world. That the word from God has life and sustenance and provides wisdom beyond earthly means in a way that we cannot ever fully explain. But I believe there's power in it. And it's why Know Your Bible is still effective because of the simple and profound power of the word of God. When we do that, we'll be blessed. It cannot be understated that that this word has simple and yet profound power. Isaiah said this, For as the rain and the snow come from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making making it bring forth and sprout, and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I'm not sure if you're uh, fans or if you've ever seen this show uh, Shark Tank. Um, it's uh, about venture capitalism. You've got these four or five uh, very, very wealthy uh, entrepreneurs. And there are people who are starting up businesses or who have businesses they pitch their business. They offer to sell the sharks a portion of their business for a certain amount of money, and they go back and forth. It's a really good show, and, and we enjoy watching it. There's one character on there, one of the entrepreneurs, calls himself Mr. Wonderful, Uncle Kevin. And uh, he refers, he, sometimes he'll explain to entrepreneurs that he considers his, now this is not a spiritual lesson here, okay, <laughs> but he considers his, his money like a little army. And the, the job of the money, as he sends it out, is to not return to him empty, or not to get lost in the battle, but rather to go to battle and to bring in more money. Okay. In Isaiah 55, God's word says, my word has power. It's like the power from the rain. I send it out, and it, and it brings life. It brings the harvest. It brings all sorts of of things of my will that I want it to achieve. In the same way, when God's word goes out, I do not expect God's word to go out and return to me empty. It doesn't. 
In addition to having the great profound power that it does, the word is, is always practical. Second uh, Timothy 3.16, you know all scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching and reproof, reproof and correction and training in righteousness. It, it's something that we, every single week, every single day that we are in the word, we can take something from the word. And if we'll let the word impact us, it will not only give us practical things to change and to do and to be, but it will, it will cha- make changes within us, I'm convinced. The Word of God is that living and active Word which is unlike any other Word. And I know you probably know and are familiar that this book um, is the best-selling book of all time. Well, it's because these words are different than other words. They're timeless and powerful and practical and useful and and helpful in the greatest purpose on earth, which is to save and to redeem you back to your Father. The Word of God is living and active, the Hebrew writer says, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So when Jesus taught, it was it was no ordinary words that he taught. And that was true in the synagogue. It's true here in public. People wanted to hear that. Now, Jesus then begins to draw a a crowd, as we see. And this is not because of his charisma. You know, some speakers speak and and they I mean, there are some speakers that they have that timbre and that that depth and that just a little bit of vibrato. They have something within their voice that just transfixes the ear and and draws the listener in some speakers speak and they have that that just that outward shine they have that the perfect uh, stories and and things that make you laugh and then instantly they can turn it around and make you cry they have uh, speakers charisma um, maybe Jesus had those things but if if according to the, if he was the man that fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 53 Isaiah said this, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. There wasn't something in, in particular in, in of the person and of the speaking style of Jesus that drew crowds. It was because of his words. In fact, look at the chapter, the story we looked at last week, Luke 4.32 They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. There's a world of difference in reading a book and in hearing the author read the book because you get the sense of what the author intended those words to mean and the impact for them to make. So let's go in closer and look at, not now at the crowd, but rather at Peter. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, we have toiled all night, but took nothing. At your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled their boats so that they began to sink. So when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus as we said earlier, he's, he's used the boat as a means of teaching the first time, and now he's going to use the boat to teach another lesson. 
uh, fishermen, after a night of no catch, who are they're they're done for the night, they're mending their nets, and they're preparing for the next excursion. And Jesus commands a tired, weary Peter and partners and crew to go out in the water again. G, G, uh, Peter demonstrates beautiful humility. Now, whether it's the, you know, whether Jesus and Peter had met or knew each other, in you know, 4:38 he he uh, heals his mother-in-law of the fever. We talked about that last week. Um, so if it, if it happened in that order, then they knew each other. Uh, if they didn't, Peter just knew, hey, there's this guy on the side, and he's got a crowd of people, and maybe he knew of Jesus. But in either case, Peter shows, shows great humility. Normally, and I'm looking at my notes here because remember I'm not a fisherman, normally nets were dropped in shallow waters where the fish were at night. During the day, the fish go deeper into the water where it's cooler and where it's too deep for, for nets at least of, of at that time. Um, it didn't make sense to... You know, once daybreak hit, to tell him to put put nets out into the deep. But Peter trusted him anyway. Now imagine this. Think about this. I mean, you know how good you feel when, when you're doing a job that you do all the time, and then someone comes in and tells you how you might be able to do that job a little better, or if you just you know how that makes you feel good and warm and tingly inside. That may have been how Peter might have felt, but he overcame his pride, and and humbled himself before the Son of God, and he trusted his what Peter would view as Jesus' lack of expertise. And he did it anyway. You know, this would be like me going out as Don Mock is busy moving earth around, building a pond or doing something amazing. And I go and look out and I say, hey, hey, Don, why don't you go this way with the greater? Okay, he'd pay about as much attention to that as, as you would think that he would. Because I have no expertise in that area. That's not, my, that's not my wheelhouse. Okay? But Peter trusted Jesus anyway. Uh, he was not a consummate fisherman. He did not have experience in that. But Jesus had authority. And this is interesting to think about. The crowd came to hear the word, but Peter was called to trust the word. Boy, that's a world of difference, isn't there? I mean, we've got a crowd here tonight, and you hear the word, but trusting the word, that's a different step. Listening to the word, that's one thing, but, but trusting in it and acting upon it is different. And Peter's trust is rewarded with a net breaker. It's, it's so big, they need help and other boats just to, to get all those fish in the boat. And so Peter's natural reaction is, holy fear, depart from me. Which reminds me a great deal of Isaiah's response when he comes into that heavenly vision and he sees the, this holy throne room of God and the, the, the celestial beings pronouncing, holy, holy, holy. And here's the prophet of God who says, go away from me. I am a sinful, I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm of a people of unclean lips. Peter falls in both posture and in proclamation. He falls to his knees. He falls down at Jesus' knees. And he, he falls in proclamation. 
Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Why did Peter say this? Perhaps maybe he had a little bit of skepticism. Initially, when he saw Jesus, who is this guy? Who is this? You know, we've seen these guys before. They, they, you know, they're good teachers and they crowd, attract a crowd for a little while and then we don't hear anything of them. Perhaps, perhaps he saw Jesus' holiness and his power and he understood his, his own lack thereof. He's saying, I'm literally a sinful man. I'm a fisherman. Maybe, maybe he had both. But he, in that moment, in this beautiful moment that, as Luke recalls it, Peter learns a lesson that he will learn again and again and again and again. And that is this. You've got to trust him. Even when you don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it, does, it defies every natural, reasonable part of you, you've got to trust him. So what does this mean for us? Well, Jesus called... them to leave and to follow. For, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And then they had, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. This short-term gain was a net full of fish. I mean, a fishing story to top all other fishing stories. You know all those guys went home to their wives or their families or their friends, and they said, you will never believe what happened on Gennesaret today. It was unbelievable. Imagine, um, I mean, just to kind of get a little perspective, imagine your daily wage. What's your, what's your daily wage? What do you, on average, bring home in a day? Imagine that you have a day where a guy says, hey, would you try this and do this a little differently? And for that reason, you multiply that wage by 10 or 20 times. Whether you're in sales or, or whether, you, uh, whether you serve or even if you're retired and you're living off fixed income. Uh, just imagine someone telling you to do something that multiplies that wage by 10 or 20 times. It's astonishing. It's memorable. It's powerful. And, and that's saying something. These guys were not inexperienced at this. But let me tell you, or, or think for just a minute, how powerful of a temptation it was in those moments as they're pulling in fish or heaving in nets. The boats are sinking. you got fish flopping everywhere. It, it just, it's just got to be this hilarious, like, you know, the fisherman's like, ah, I mean, and, and just in that moment as they're trying to get the boats to shore and they're trying to, to, to haul in this huge catch, how tempting it would have been to stay in the boat, to keep fishing, to keep going back to that. I think this is the hardest part of the story. Do not be afraid. Now on you will be catching men. Say what? <laughs> You're going to take me out of the area of which I am an expert. Out of this amazing haul of fish. I mean, they, they were... They were 
being called to leave behind what, at least on that day for sure, I'm sure they'd had their bad days fishing, but they were called to leave behind something that, at this point, it's looking awfully lucrative. And to some degree, it seems like they have some fair amount of success. I mean, you know, you, you tend to get successful when you get partners who are with you in this business deal. I mean, it, it takes sort of a successful trade to, to have more than one person that you're trying to feed. And so they had some modicum of success, and they've certainly had a great deal of success. And now Jesus is asking them in that moment of just overwhelming earthly success, um, that's awesome, guys. Way to go. But let's, let's go and do some real fishing. Imagine yourself in that moment. They left security. Because if they were practicing a trade, that was something that they had probably been taught by their fathers or someone in their family. Uh, they, they had learned that. That was going to be security here in their earthly life. Be able to fish to a level they could provide for themselves and maybe their families. Speaking of that, they're going to be called not just to leave their security their livelihoods, but they're going to leave behind their homes and their families. You don't have to turn there, but we'll get to a message later on in Luke chapter 18 where Peter says to Jesus, see, we've left our homes and followed you. That's going all in. At the end of the day, for most of us, You know, however good or bad things go, you've got a home to go home to and people that are there that love you and care for you. And Jesus calls them to even to leave that. They left this huge catch. They leave security. They leave their homes and their family. um, And they follow a rabbi that if they knew it all, it was only barely. And they followed a calling they surely didn't understand. What? Catch men? What are you talking about? And would not be the last time they would not fully understand what the rabbi was talking about. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine how your families would react to that? Yeah, I'm going to have to leave. Oh, yeah, where are you going? Well, this teacher, man, he taught in such amazing ways. He came up to us today and he told, he told us to do this little trick out in the fishing boat. We caught a fish like a haul like we've never ever, ever before seen in our lives. Everybody's talking about it. You should go down there and see it. Where's all the fish? Oh, we left them there. i got to go. Like I said, I'm out of here. What? When are you coming back? Well, that's the same kind of call that Jesus will issue to another disciple, another apostle by the name of Levi, Matthew. Leave what you know and follow me. So the challenge then for us, as we think about that, is is this, to let down our nets. Jesus will say in Luke chapter um, 9, 23, he will say, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. But whoever wants to to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man 
to gain the whole world and let lose or forfeit his very self. Jesus called them out of the boat. He calls us out of the boat. If you want to follow Jesus, it means leaving some things behind. And that is a journey of trust. It's a journey of obedience. It's a journey of faith. And ultimately, it's a journey of death. Dying to yourself. In our world, even in the church world, we have a lot of concern about leadership, making more of you. You know, maybe personally you think think about that. Um, where you're going to be in 10 years, how much you're going to make, where you're going to be on the org chart, what office you'll have, which territories will be yours by then, how many followers you've got, how many direct reports you have, how much of a platform you build for yourself on social media. It's interesting that nets, when you think about it, the primary job of a net is to catch things. We think that nets are for things like fish. But my question to you is, what is it that tends to catch you? What is it that tends to be your net? What is it that tends to hold you up? We're concerned about leadership. God's concerned about followership. Why do you follow Jesus? What do you hope to gain by that? And what might you lose? What might be the cost? Jesus calls us not to get caught in our nets, in the things that keep us here in this world, in the things that make us cling to the things which are so quickly passing away, but rather to leave behind the nets to drop them, to leave them at the water's edge and to trust Him and follow Him. And each step that you take in that journey leads you closer to Him and farther away from yourself. The focus of of the rest of Luke is following, following Jesus to where? Where are we going? Well, you and I know the end of that story. They don't. They're following him to a cross. They're following him to the ultimate picture of sacrifice and of laying down yourself. Jesus always leads us to the cross. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. Paul had never been on a Roman cross, but he had been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What led him to the cross was his love for them and his love for us, and it is that same love which can motivate us to leave behind ourselves, to give up ourselves for someone else. May we, in our own lives, not just look at the disciples and say, wow, that sure was cool of them to let down their nets, to leave all that behind and follow Jesus. May we join them 
in that journey. Leaving behind the things of this world that catch us or maybe that have caught us and be willing to follow him all the way. Tonight, if you do not know Jesus, I want to encourage you to know him. And to know him is to mean to leave yourself behind. If you're ready to leave yourself behind and take up your cross and deny yourself and follow him, uh, we'll be happy to help you with that. And we're all working on all that together. It's not a point that any of us have reached perfectly. But if you are ready to begin that, uh, you'll remember that tonight's story began at the water's edge. Your story can begin again tonight at the water's edge. If you're ready to, to begin by putting on Christ in baptism, or if you've fallen, if you've got caught up in a net or two, and you could use our prayers or you need to repent, uh, if you have a need tonight, please come, and we'll help you in any way we can as together we stand and sing.